Oh, hey there. Come on in. We're just about to start. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian, a fun weekly podcast about nutrition and healthy lifestyle. I'm Rob, and together with my wife, Sandra, we invite you to join us on this informative and entertaining journey through the complex world of healthy eating. Join us each week as we strive to help you with transforming your overall health and relationship with food through up-to-date, evidence-based nutrition information. In Canada, 47% of food waste occurs in the home, meaning that a huge portion of food waste could be avoided by consumers adding more sustainable shopping habits. Overbuying is one of the biggest problems, especially when we say, when in doubt, throw it out. That can mean good food goes in the landfill. Registered dietitian Meredith Cushing will be joining us today to discuss everything but the kitchen sink, all about ways to reduce food waste in our households. Episode 68, Earth Month, Food Waste in the Household, three R's of reduce, reuse, and recycle in the kitchen. Well then. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful, <laughs> exactly. And we have a special guest returning from our last food waste discussion. Right, back in October. So yeah, Meredith Cushing, registered dietitian from Vancouver, is joining us again today to talk all about food waste in the household and things you can do to reduce food waste, different ideas. Meredith's got like so much information and, and ideas. This is a bit of a longer episode, but it's worth listening to all of it because there's a lot of really good ideas in here. So yeah, you're right. It's really good. And uh, Meredith wrote an extensive blog article that's on the website and it's so comprehensive. We called it the ultimate guide. It's the ultimate guide. Yeah. So stick around. We're uh, going to get to Meredith here in just a second. Hi, Meredith. Hi. Nice to hear you again. <laughs> hey, Meredith. How's it going? It's great. Awesome. Yeah. Last time I was here, uh, spent a lot of time talking about different things that can happen at the higher level, uh, really sort of the industrial level to help reduce food waste and to rescue and redistribute food. And today I thought it would be good to focus on what we can do at the consumer level or the household level. Yeah, yes, that's a, good idea. that's a really, cause this is a good way to get listeners to look at their own life and figure out ways that they can help in their own life and in their own household uh, to reduce yeah. food waste. Yeah. And, you know, sort of astonishingly, 47% of food waste in Canada actually occurs in the home. So there is so much that we can do by just making simple changes that can really reduce that amount of waste. And one of the number one things that we can do is just being more mindful of our shopping habits and really making an effort to think about what we're buying, how we're going to use it, and how we can avoid making food waste. Yeah, I, I can. I, I can kind of add to that because we were we've been away a little bit on the weekends lately, and there's been times when we've gone shopping on say a Thursday, and you you have to like you say be mindful. It's like if if I just went in and did my regular grocery shopping on Thursday, and then 
we all went away for the weekend, then there's three days there that we're not eating the food that I just bought. And by the time we come home and start eating again at home on, on Monday or whatever, half the stuff's going to be like, okay, we got to eat this like today or it's going to go bad, you know? So I think that's partly what you mean by being mindful of, of what you're buying and how soon you're going to be eating it and how many people are at home that are going to be eating it. And another thing too is uh, our kids are often away now. Um, they're older and they're not always home and they're away for, you know, a few days or a few weeks at a time. And, and that makes a huge difference too. You know, we're not buying for four people anymore. We're buying for two of us. And if we just went out and bought our regular amount of food, we'd be, we'd be throwing stuff out because, uh, or I'd be eating a lot to, to, <laughs> to help not throw it out. But, uh, yeah. no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think hopefully, you know, by the end of this podcast, uh, people will walk away with some tips and some tricks that they can use to really help cut back on that. But all those points you've made are, are completely valid. I like to start with statistics because I love numbers. <laughs> so some statistics that I found that are actually quite shocking is that in Canada, Canadians create over 50 million tons of food waste every year. That's crazy. That's a San lot of food waste. Sandra read something that said it's the number one um, food product. contributor to, to, yeah. to uh, the landfill. Yeah, is food absolutely. Waste. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, and I think what's even more shocking is that 60% of that could be avoided simply through better planning and awareness. Absolutely. So the average amount of food waste in an average household in Canada in 2022 was 140 kilograms. Wow. If, yeah. Average per household? Per household. Wow, that's like two adults. Yeah. And if you wow. break that down into food costs, which obviously all of us are well aware that the price of food continues to skyrocket, we're all looking for ways to save money within our household budget and food being, you know, the number one item, that 140 kilograms on average costs households $1,300 per year that they are throwing away. Wow. wow. It's $100 a month. Yeah. Wow. The overall cost is over $20 billion because there's like 2.3 million tons of edible food that's thrown away. Wow. Is that in, is that in Canada? That's in Canada. Oh. Wow. Yeah. If you look globally, like this is also interesting. Globally, it's 1.3 billion tons of edible food. And if you saved even just a quarter of that food, you could feed 870 million people. Whoa. Oh my gosh. It's just, oh, it gives me goosebumps. And of the food that is wasted, 45% is from fruits and vegetables. So they, they really account for a huge portion of that food waste. And we haven't even talked, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we haven't even talked about the environmental impact. So all of that wasted food that's going into the landfill creates a huge amount of carbon dioxide. And that has a huge effect on the environment and on global warming, all of those things. So reducing food waste, it can help in so many ways nobody wins with food waste. If you think of 
where it begins, like we were talking last time on episode 43 at the industrial level. But when you start there, there's food, there's forest deforestation, like they're basically cutting down forests to make more land for for farmland to grow food. And then, you know, they grow it and then we just take a bite out of an apple and throw it away. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hey, question for you, Meredith. Mm-hmm. The, there's a lot of programs that have started with, uh, I don't know, they call them green boxes maybe for like composting, you know, like fruits and vegetables kind of food waste. Is that factored into, like, is that still considered food waste if it's being repurposed or recycled or composted yeah. or whatever? It is when they're talking about food waste, it's the food that we're throwing out. So anything get eaten. Yeah, yeah. It's anything that comes into the house but then leaves the house not having been consumed. Right. Okay. Yeah. Is it partly because people think when in doubt, throw it out and they're like wary of leftovers or oh how long has that been in the fridge? Or, you know, oh yeah, that spinach is a bit limp. I guess we'll just throw yeah. it out. Sometimes, and we're going to talk about all different ways to kind of try and conquer that, but really the biggest uh, reasons why food gets thrown out is because of overbuying, improper storage. There's lots of confusion over food labels, which we'll talk about, and inefficiently uh, used ingredients going bad and poor planning. Yes. So really, yeah. just through better planning and understanding food labels, that can have a huge impact. Yeah, yeah. And valuing food, like just, you know, if you grow a garden, you know how much energy and effort and time it takes to grow a tomato or have a pepper come out of, you know, like off the vine. Like there's, I think um, there's a lack of value on food. Like we just, as a society, as a culture, we just don't value food. And it's just, I guess, you know, for so many years, we've had lots of accessibility to food. So, uh, you know, yeah, I don't like that apple. I'm just going to throw it away. And just, you know, it's kind of, I think that's part of the problem too. And I guess with the the way food is, uh, the costs are rising, maybe that will, people will start to value food a bit more and become more, um, you know, proficient at planning, uh, you know, getting better with their food plan management. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So there's a website that I, I quite like. It's called Love Food Hate Waste. And they state that the common food items that are thrown away in Canada, as I mentioned, it's fruits and vegetables, with vegetables being 30% and fruits being 15 But also leftovers account for about 13% of food waste, bread and bakery products 9%, dairy and eggs, 7%, meat, fish, and poultry, about 6 and then other food items such as crackers, snacks, and desserts uh, for 20% of the household waste. And if you break this down into actual numbers, you were talking about fruits and vegetables that might not be quite so perfect, or you, know, you kind of determine, I don't think I really want to eat that for whatever reason, that in Canada, every single day, 1.2 million tomatoes, 1.2 million apples, wow. 2.4 million potatoes, 650,000 loaves of bread, 640,000 bananas, 1 million cups of milk, 470,000 wow. eggs, 
and 139,000 heads of lettuce are wasted. And what's the number one reason? Overbuying and improper storage. Yep. So what can you do? The number one thing that you can do, and this gets back, Rob, to what you were talking about earlier, is plan it out. You need to think about what you're going to buy. You need to think of the week ahead, plan your meals, determine what you can make with the food that you already have, and then look at what you need to add to that to make meals. Think about, again, how many people, because you know, we all have teenagers. We know that it's kind of a revolving door of who's home, when, for what. But right. how many people do you need to feed? What kind of leftovers are you really likely to eat? So I know in my house, there are certain meals when I'm making them, I can easily double, triple, quadruple the recipe because I know that that particular item gets eaten and it can get eaten over several days. There's other things that I make that if it's not all consumed in one meal, I know no one's going to eat the leftovers. Right. Because I don't live there. Yeah, you don't (laughs) live there. So (laughs) they're not going to get eaten. There needs to be more Rob's. Yeah. That, that would that would solve the problem. That really would. Maybe we can bundle all our food up and send it to you. Send it to my house. Yeah, it'll be my new job, eating leftovers. Yeah. So you really need to have that plan. There are many, many apps out there that you can now use. Another good tool to use is if you have an iPhone, in the uh, note section of your iPhone, you can actually make checklists. So start making a list of items that you buy on a regular basis and then add to that list on a weekly basis of what you need to buy. Uh, Something that I've done that I think has made a huge difference for me is I've switched to online grocery shopping. I've been doing it for almost a year now. Uh, There's many different stores that offer online shopping. And what I find is once you've done online shopping a couple times, if you go back in to place an order at that store, your previous orders come up. So they'll even sometimes organize it into your favorites, your most frequently ordered, things along those lines. So it's very easy just to go back, see what you've ordered. I find that because I'm in my house when I'm ordering, I have a tendency when I'm at the grocery store to see something and think, oh, I think I need that. And I'll buy it only to come home and realize that I thought I needed it the last five times. So now I have five bottles of that in my (laughs) cupboard. But when you're at home, you can very quickly check and see, did I actually need it or not? So that's a really good tool to use. There's also a tool on savethefood.com called Meal Prep Mate. And Meal Prep Mate gives you all the tools that you need to make a shopping list, to portion your meals, and to maximize what's in your fridge. So if, you, if you're if you techie and, and you like using those types of things, that's a, a really great tool. Nice. Yeah. I think the other important thing is you want to find a way to use all the food that you bring home. This does take a little bit of thought. It takes a little bit of time. It means getting creative and looking up recipes to use the food that you have. So savethefood.com also has great recipes for using surplus food. They have a tab called Cook It, 
which has recipes for everything from overripe avocados, cheese rinds, food scraps, and saving food that's past its prime. So that's something that I would encourage people to do. Uh, can you give us an example of something from that? I'd, I'd be just be curious what you do with like overripe avocados or something that's bad. Like how do you how do you incorporate that? Yeah, so I guess I did provide some recipes at the end, and one of the recipes I provided was for my favorite banana bread. Hands down, it's the best banana bread. Oh, right. So I actually get excited when I have really overripe, really dark brown bananas. What I do with those is as soon as the bananas are, you know, dark brown on the outside, nobody wants to eat them. I throw them in the freezer, peel and all. And when I want to make banana bread, I bring them out and thaw them and then peel them and use the inside of the nice, um, sweet, ripe bananas to make my banana bread. So I would never, ever throw away a banana. And unfortunately, many people know that about me. So I become the recipient of everybody's overripe bananas in the neighborhood. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. But um, the banana bread is amazing. So there are lots of uh, things that you can do. That's great. Yeah, other things that I like to do, and I know you guys have the same food dehydrator that I have, Um, if anything is getting a little bit soft, so the best example of that would be grapes or tomatoes. Or apples. Apples, absolutely. I put them in my food dehydrator. Um, Having soft cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes also makes me very excited because I know I can dehydrate them and then I can make my favorite recipe which I've also included, and it's a sun-dried tomato pasta recipe that is amazing, but I can only make it if I have soft tomatoes that I dehydrate. That's a great idea. Yeah, I've made raisins out of soft grapes, and they're also really good. Uh, Sandra, you mentioned apples. Uh, Apple chips are a huge hit in our house, and so any soft apples, you can cut them up and you can make them into apple chips. Or... Baking is a great way to use any berries or fruits that have gotten a little bit soft and maybe have gone a little bit overripe. So those are really great ways to utilize that. Do you know if someone doesn't have a dehydrator, I guess you could put it in the oven. I, I, yeah. I'm guessing. Would that yeah. still work if you put it on a cookie sheet in the oven for whatever amount of time? Yeah, low and slow. So low if you're doing slow. it that way, you know, you do about 200 degrees in the oven over several hours to maybe even, you know, a day um, to get them really, because the key with dehydrating is you really do need to get all of the moisture out. Otherwise, what you've dehydrated is, is more likely to spoil if you haven't fully dehydrated it. Yep. Yep. But if you're going to use it right away, um, yeah, just low and slow and um, just, you know, get all the moisture out of that. That's a great, great tip. That's awesome. That's what they call so, the cars. The cars that are all like uh, lowered and, and fancy, they, they, they say they're like low and slow. <laughs> kind of like California and, the, you know, those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good way to remember. Um, something else you can do that a lot of people don't think of is use your peels. So when you're removing the outer layer of fruits and vegetables, uh, mainly vegetables, don't throw them away keep those peels. If you're peeling carrots, if you're peeling potatoes, throw them into a Ziploc bag and keep them in the freezer. And that's your stock bag. So keep adding to it. And when your stock bag is full of vegetable trimmings, 
you can toss them in a pot of boiling water for several hours and you can make vegetable stock. Yeah, I grew up like that. My mom had a, a big ice cream pot in the fridge, like an empty ice cream container and everything went in there, um, yeah. including like little bits of leftover macaroni and and anything that was left over went in that and that was the soup pot. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and like great. the broccoli it's... stock and the cauliflower stock, the foods that uh, maybe you might throw away, you could always put those in your soup stock. Yep. So I included a recipe uh, as well for both making a stock as well as a recipe for making soups, because when in doubt, you can always make soup. Soup is something as long as you keep some broth on hand, some cans of tomatoes, and I like to put beans in mine. So some cans of chickpeas or kidney beans or other types of beans, you can make soup out of virtually anything. Sounds familiar, eh, Rob? It totally does. That's like our <laughs> I've house. always got a pot of soup going at least once a week. Yep. So if you're making your own stock um, and then using your vegetables that are nearing uh, you know, their final stages, you can make soup anytime. So that that's a really great thing to do. Yeah. And then you can use that stock in casseroles or um, when you're, you know, making rice or whatever, you can just add it as uh, the broth part of yeah. things. Yeah, absolutely. It makes really good soup too. It doesn't, it seems like, oh, it's just a bunch of leftovers. That's going to be kind of like, but it's really good. Like it's, yeah. it's definitely worth it to try yeah. it. And yeah, nutrient, sure. like it's, it's nutrient well, yeah, dense too. too. Right? I mean, for you're sure. getting all the uh, vitamins and minerals out of those various items that you're, you know, boiling in that. So. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you do want to become a storage pro because one of the reasons that most of our produce ends up going bad is because we're not storing it properly. And Sandra, I think you and I had a conversation about this not too long ago, um, just about things people might not know uh, about ways to store food. So on uh, savethefood.com, there's lots of tips and tricks on things you might not think about. But the big thing with fruits and vegetables is that they produce a chemical called ethylene as they ripen. And sometimes it's also sprayed onto fruits and vegetables to make them ripen faster. But too much ethylene can lead to a loss of chlorophyll. So this is what happens when our greens turn yellow or brown. Oh, really? And the more ripe an ethylene producer is, the more gas it produces. So that old saying, you know, one rotten apple spoils the barrel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's actually true. If you have a rotten piece of fruit in with your good fruit, that's going to increase the ripening process because it's producing more ethylene gas. So you really want to make sure that you kind of check your produce and throw at anything that's uh, rotten or spoiling so it doesn't make things ripen faster. Yeah, for and sure. When you think about um, the different fruits and vegetables, there are sort of categories of things that you should store alone, things you can store together, things that uh, you can mix with other things. And it's all based on their ability to produce this ethylene chemical. So, fruits that definitely should be stored alone are apples, avocados, ripe bananas, lettuce, 
uh, mushrooms, onions. These are just some examples. There's a full list on savethefood.com. Food that you can store together, but you would want to keep away from other fast ripening produce are things like asparagus and broccoli and Brussels sprouts, carrots, green beans, grapes, potatoes, and things that you can store anywhere. And they don't really respond to the ethylene gas are bell peppers, berries, citrus fruits, kale, and pineapples. So a good rule of thumb is that it's mostly fruits that are ethylene makers. Well, vegetables are the ones that are most likely to feel the effect of the ethylene gas. Oh, interesting. You were saying like the lettuce will turn yellow or something if it's exposed to the ethylene. Yeah. Like it'll lose its chlorophyll. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Interesting. I love all yeah, these so different chemical reactions that things have. I mean, it's, we've talked about a whole bunch of different ones on various episodes, but it's it's the chemistry involved in food is is kind of, I'm finding it kind of fascinating to learn all about it. Yeah. The other thing that people don't realize is that vegetables actually need to breathe. So you never want to keep your vegetables in a plastic container or bag that doesn't have holes. Right. Uh, a good place to store them are in reusable mesh bags. Or I have a set of storage containers from, I believe they're from Tupperware, that have buttons on the end. And it actually has a sticker with a diagram of when you want both buttons closed, when you want one button open, or when you want both buttons or vents open. And this is based on which fruit or vegetable you're storing in them to make sure that it has the right amount of air circulation to help to keep the uh, fruit and vegetables better longer. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. And then here's some storage tips that might surprise you and things you wouldn't really think of. So can either of you guess, what's the best way to store onions? Sandra knows. In a, well, I, I'm just thinking how you buy them in the store in the mesh bag. I just wonder if that's, there's a reason. I'm not sure. Do they have to be dark? Okay. It, dark, but you're not going to guess. Um, pantyhose. Oh, <laughs> well then. Right. So you add onions to each of the legs tie knots in between and hang them at room temperature. And that is the absolute best way to store your onions. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Who has pantyhose anymore? No, I'm just I know, true, true. <laughs> Maybe you can get them at like a secondhand shop. Maybe right. there's a, a big sale on um, pantyhose. Do you want to use secondhand pantyhose? Oh, for, no, uh, no, I meant, I meant still new, but you know, okay. things that people didn't use. Gotcha. Um, you, don't, you don't want to donate them after you've used them for onions either. <laughs> no. Yeah, true. <laughs> but if if you don't want to store them in pantyhose, uh, you can store them like garlic at room temperature on the counter, but you want to keep your onions away from potatoes and you don't want to put them in the fridge because the humidity and cold temperatures cause the onions to turn mushy. Okay. And like you said, Rob, if you can store them away from light, that helps them from becoming bitter. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And then cucumbers. Cool. Do you guys store your cucumbers in the fridge or on the counter? In the fridge. They hate to be cold. <laughs> oh. So we anything. Bigger, we need bigger counters then. Yeah. Anything below 50 degrees will cause them to spoil faster. So if you have to refrigerate them, no more than three days. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I guess they're not refrigerated in the store, are they? No, they're not. 
And celery, uh, you want to refrigerate it, but if you want to keep it crisp, you actually want to wrap it in aluminum foil, not plastic. Oh. Because it retains the moisture better? Well, it has to do, again, with the ethylene gas. Plastic will trap the ethylene gas, and the foil allows it somewhat to escape, and you want to rewrap it after every use. And if you have celery that's a little bit soft, it's going a little bit limp, same as with carrots that are going limp, you can store them in a container with water. So add water to a container, put them in and tightly cover them, and that will keep them crisp. Yeah. Turgid. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the celery Viagra. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is, amazingly, yeah. yeah. Just kidding. You know what we do with, uh, sorry, with some of the ends of our, um, so like green onions, uh, you know, you got the little end that's the root part, and it's got the little like hairs or cilia, or, like the little root ends. Um, I put those in water, and then it grows. Like I put it on the counter and then I put it into the garden, in the veggie garden. And the same with bok choy and cabbage and carrots. It's pretty cool. I love it because it's it's like you're growing food on the counter and then that you can put in the veggie garden and you, you know, keep it going. It's a cycle of life. I love it. Yeah, you can do that with onions when they start to sprout and also with your potatoes when they start to grow eyes. You can, um, you know, plant them in the garden and regenerate. And then um, the last tip with storage are bananas. And the best way to actually store bananas is to break them up and cover the stem with plastic wrap. That reduces the ethylene gas emission and the bananas will ripen more slowly And then once they're the desired ripeness, you can actually put them in the fridge and the cold will keep them from ripening further. Really? I always thought that once you broke them apart, they ripened faster. No, you want to break them apart and wrap their little stem with plastic. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Try that. Because yeah, bananas are always, they're the fastest to go. They are. But if you're in my house, I just make banana bread. So true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the best. well. We 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 do this sort of the same, but we end up using them for smoothies. Well, once they start to get brown, we'll we'll actually peel them and and freeze the the actual banana. So then you can just pull it out and use it as a frozen banana in a smoothie. Yeah, which is really good. They're better than soft bananas for whatever reason. They have a different. Um, they they just have a different effect in the smoothie if it's frozen versus soft. Yeah, it's no, better. I, I find. Yeah. Um, the one thing I was going to mention about celery and carrots and that sort of stuff, any vegetable really, is you're more likely to eat it, which means it's not going to sit in your fridge and rot. You're more likely to eat it if it's cut up and ready to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. carrot sticks, celery sticks, even slices of peppers and that sort of thing. Cucumbers, I guess, can be like that too if they're uh, stored in a proper container. But uh, yeah, if, if your food is ready to go, you're more likely to eat it. Yeah. And the same goes for things like like melons, like if you have cantaloupe or honeydew or if you totally. have watermelon, um, having it all chopped up and in containers in the fridge, uh, I think you're more likely to eat it instead of having to take that extra step exactly. of then cutting it and chopping it and preparing it. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, if you have room in your house, is to have a large freezer space. So whether that's getting a chest freezer or an upright freezer or a separate freezer, The freezer really is the best thing you can do to avoid kitchen waste because it's basically like hitting the pause button and you can put 
pretty much anything in the freezer. You can put meat, dairy, lightly beaten eggs, uh, you name it. Some of my favorite things to freeze are dark leafy greens that are starting to wilt. You can just chop them up, put them in a bag in the freezer, and then you can use them in smoothies, sauces, curries, um, lemons and limes. So if I have a lot of lemon and limes, I zest them all and I put the zest into mason jars and I put it in the freezer. So if I'm doing a recipe that requires lemon zest, I've already got it ready to go. I also squeeze the juice out of my lemons and limes and, and freeze them in mason jars. So I have lemon and lime juice at the ready at all times. I just need to thaw it. Smart. That's a great way to do that. I haven't, ah, good idea. Yeah, the lemon and lime we have uh, we're guilty. We have tossed those in the compost and, uh, you know, the lime has gone yellow. And But if you do actually cut it and squeeze it, it still is, it still has its juice. So yeah, um, yep. yeah it's amazing because it doesn't look very appetizing, but it's actually, it's still functional and it still has its juice. So I like that idea. I'm going to do that. So freeze it, like just basically put it into a container label it and freeze it. That's awesome. And and you can keep adding to it too. So let's say you only had one lime and you squeeze it and put it in your mason jar and then, oh, now you have a couple more. You can just keep adding um, to the frozen lime juice and it'll just keep freezing. I um, love that. Oh, yes. You can pull it out and add tequila to it and have a margarita. (laughs) You could. (laughs) You could. There you go. A slushy. Yeah. Yeah, um, Even yogurt. So yogurt, I use a lot of yogurt in my baking. I also use it in a lot of recipes. It doesn't have to be straight from the fridge. When you freeze yogurt, it does get a little watery when you thaw it. And it's not the best for eating straight up, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with using it in baking or recipes. So so that's a really good um, thing to do. And we talked about bananas and uh, yeah, really good to just throw those bananas into the freezer. One one thing I'll add if you're going to be using your freezer, um, and this is from experience in my own house label (laughs) exactly thank you yes very very important i always if i'm opening a can of tomato paste or um like chipotle peppers in a boto sauce i rarely use the full amount and so then i put it in these little baggies and i throw them in the freezer but the next time i need it i'm staring at these two baggies that look identical (laughs) and it's like which one is the tomato paste and which one is the adobo sauce right and you end up having to break a tiny bit off and tasting it and it's like oh okay next time i just need to label so you bring (laughs) me you bring me rob to my next point and these are tips that you should follow when you're freezing and the biggest one is think about how you're going to use what you're freezing and freeze it in a portion that you would need for a recipe. So for example, I grow pumpkins in my garden. Uh, Every year when I harvest them, I roast them and then I puree them. And then I portion them out into two cup portions and freeze them in a baggie in two cup amounts because I know that both the pumpkin pie recipe that I use and the pumpkin loaf recipe both call for two cups of pumpkin. Okay. So that way you can just quickly pull out the amount that you're going to use because once something's frozen it's really hard to get it into a smaller amount you're going to have to thaw it you're going to have to chip away at it so from the get-go just think about the portion how much you'll use and freeze it in that amount a good way to freeze uh, stews and chilies and soups are using a muffin tin 
And then that's you can, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like yeah. a cooking tray, but the muffin tin, right. Okay. Yeah. So then those are sort of perfect sizes for lunch so that you can just pop them out of the muffin tin and have these little sort of muffin lumps of frozen stews and soups. But then when you thaw them, you've got a good amount for your lunch. Oh, I like that. I'm going to, that's, I'm going to be using that. We, we uh, use some of our muffin tins for uh, coffee like mm-hmm. uh, f- freezing leftover coffee. And then we have like cold coffee drinks in the summer or yeah, into smoothies. Awesome. Like it's yeah, an ice, ice cube. Trays. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah that, that's a great, great tip. Uh, you want to make sure you're using airtight, airtight containers to reduce freezer burn. So the less air that is in with the pro- with the item, the less freezer burn that you'll get. But if uh, your stuff in the freezer does grow water crystals, that's perfectly normal. So just because there's water crystals on a frozen food does not mean that you have to throw it out. You can still thaw it and use it. Um, When you're freezing things that are liquid, you want to also make sure that you're leaving about half an inch or more at the top of the container because liquids expand when they freeze. So if you fill them right to the top, it can kind of run over, become a bit of a mess. So A little bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah, make sure (laughs) you leave that. Uh, Another tip, most foods you can just put straight into the freezer, but if you're freezing fruits and vegetables, especially straight from the garden, I know I have to do this with my beans and my peas and whatnot, is blanching them first. Right. And blanching is just a really simple process. You basically put them in hot boiling water and then you immediately, for a very short period of time, and then you immediately put them into cold ice water. And that just helps to keep them in a in a fresher state uh, when you freeze them and when you then thaw them to cook them and eat them. I, I just think they just taste a little bit better and have a little bit better texture. Right, right. But Rob, you're right. The number one thing that you need to do when you're freezing is label and organize. You want to have a clear label with the contents and the date, and you want to make sure that you're using, you know, a first in first out type of a system in your freezer. So Every time you put something in, put it at the back of the freezer and rotate the stuff that's underneath up to the top Yeah. so that stuff isn't sitting in the bottom for a long period of time. Yeah, especially in a chest freezer. We've got a stand-up freezer, which is pretty handy. It's like a giant fridge, but uh, it's a little easier to access everything in it. But in a chest freezer, I mean, it's it's buried at the bottom. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there forever if you, if you keep adding to the top, right? Yeah, so always try to rotate it around. And once you've taken all of that time to freeze your food, you want to make sure that you defrost it safely. So keeping the food safe guidelines in mind, you know, keeping cold food cold, hot foods hot, uh, re-therming them to the appropriate temperature. Don't sit stuff on the counter, especially meats to thaw. You want to be thawing them in the fridge. And if you are using the cold water method, make sure that your water is continuously being replenished and moving and make sure that food is never in the danger zone in terms of temperature. Yes, that's a good idea and really good guidance. Yeah. So what can we do? Uh, What's another thing we can do? There's lots of ways we can revive food that's on its way out. So we talked about, you know, storing celery and carrots in water. Anything that's wilted, uh, lettuce will crisp up, broccoli will crisp up, uh, it'll become strong and crisp again. Your carrots, your greens, uh, just put them in some water. Hmm. If food is stale, 
then use your stale bread, chips, or crackers, um, toast them, uh, sometimes putting them in the oven or into the toaster. It just crisps them back up and, and they don't seem as stale or use those for breadcrumbs. Toast them up, put them in the oven, toast them up, and then crinkle them up into breadcrumbs. Yeah. Croutons some, is another yeah. one that you can do with, with uh, stale bread yeah, that uh, you've made toast or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In the air fryer too. We can put that in the air fryer, eh? Well, I, yeah. made crout- I made croutons in like two minutes. It was awesome. I made a salad at lunch and I threw a piece of bread in the, well, I cut up a piece of bread, put it in the air fryer for like two minutes and it was perfect croutons. Oh, it was awesome. so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And if you happen to make something like soup and you find that it's too salty, you can just add some vinegar, lemon juice, or brown sugar. And that usually fixes the problem. Or you can try to dilute it with more, you know, crushed tomatoes or unsalted broth. Um, you can also pop some peeled potato in and that will absorb some of the salt and then just remove the potato before serving. Yeah, we we learned about that on our potato episode. Oh, that's Ooh, cool. right. For uh, yeah. That was St. Patty's Day a couple of weeks ago. Lots yeah. of tricks. Yeah. And even if you if you burn something, if you're making something and you kind of lose track and you go back and you're like, oh, darn it, it's burnt. Um, all is not lost. Uh, you can scoop the unburnt portion into a new pot cover it with a damp cloth for 10 minutes and that removes the burn flavor or you can add chilies barbecue sauce hot sauce you can also you know if it's vegetables um, sometimes if you puree them then you can turn that into vegetable puree if you pick them all out and you know just leave the burnt stuff behind so uh, all is not lost there are ways to rescue um, the mistakes that we have in the kitchen yeah, that's good to have those, yeah. have those tips at hand. Yeah, it's. I think it, it's just you know getting creative and learning like learning new ways to use foods and not being afraid to make a recipe without the recipe. Like I think yeah. that's a big thing, right? If you just look at what you have and then just put it into a soup, that is, you know, it's going to use your food and then you prevent the food waste. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, uh, best before dates and expiration dates. So I think there's a big misconception out there that when a food product reaches a best before or an expiration date that instantly poof, it's no longer good. And that definitely is not true. Uh, Food expiration dates often have nothing to do with safety. And they're only very loosely related to quality. They're the manufacturer's best estimate of when a product is at its freshest or peak quality, but many foods are still good to eat days, weeks, or even months after those, depending on the type of food. So don't throw a food out simply because the package has an expiration date that you've passed. Best before dates refer to quality rather than food safety for sure. So again, Food is completely safe to eat after that time. And again, with food safety, as long as you have kept food in the safe zone, so you've kept it, you know, less than four degrees or hotter than kind of 60 degrees, really, there shouldn't be a reason to be worried if food goes past the best before like keep uh, cold foods cold and hot foods hot. Hot foods hot. Yeah. 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 It shouldn't be a problem. 
And sell-by dates, you can ignore sell-by dates because they're actually not meant for the consumer. They're meant for the store staff. So oh, really? it's actually a way for them to rotate food in the grocery store yeah, so that they, yeah, to try and keep inventory moving. Um, you can still take it home and it will still have, you know, top quality shelf life for a period of time. So don't let the sell-by date uh, throw you off. Yeah, you know, and with like, you think of like shampoo or soap or, you know, laundry detergent, and it's like sell by or it's on the um, discount rack. It's like, okay, well, this doesn't go bad. Yeah, it doesn't go bad. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, you can use your eyes and nose. For example, you know, you can definitely tell when milk has gone bad by smelling it. And there's other things that you can sniff, but you have to be a little weary of this sniff test for things like protein foods or meats. Um, you can't always detect by sniff or even taste if there's pathogens or microbial growth. So again, as long as you've been storing your food properly, keeping it hot or cold, the likelihood of bacterial growth is minimal. But, you know, definitely be aware. And if anything does have mold on it, you really do then want to throw it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Like not cut off mold from cheese or a loaf of bread that has mold. You can't just take that one slice out. You got to throw the whole bag out because the spores travel. And it's just, especially if you have any autoimmune conditions or your pregnant mom or, you know, there's just a, well, everybody should be throwing away those two items that I just mentioned. But uh, I mean, it's, I like that you went over all the um, best before and sell by and kind of the definitions, because I think a lot of people get confused that, oh, I can't, you know, this is not good anymore. I got to throw it away. And actually, it's fine. And it's, it should be fine for a while. Yeah. And if, if something's reached that, you know, best before a sell by date and you're feeling a little, you know, oh, I don't know, like I, I feel like I shouldn't eat it, then that's a good item to throw in the freezer, especially yes. if it's milk or cheese or eggs or bread or, um, you know, unused pasta sauce, like throw those items in the freezer. You hit the pause button and then you can take them out as long as you're going to use them as soon as you take them out. Right. Yeah. I'll just add one thing too about the the expiration dates. When when you're shopping, and I, I just noticed this the other day and I was buying some milk, they had like 20 cartons of milk. They were all due the next day, except for like three of them that were way at the back. So the 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 stores want to get rid of that stuff. They want to they don't want to have to deal with it. So they're gonna push it all to the front and hope you don't read the date. But mm-hmm. Uh, luckily I read the date and went, Oh, wait a minute. These are all like tomorrow. I don't want that. Cause it's milk. I'm, you know, I'm not going to drink it all in one day. So, uh, you know, I grabbed one from the back that was due a week later and you know, that's every, every product has, has due dates. So, I mean, you're giving yourself a bit of extra time, uh, if you're going to buy something that is not due the next day. So just be aware of that when you're shopping. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess just, my very last thing, you've done all of this, you've you've shopped, you've used your list, you've been creative, you've used new recipes, you've used your vegetable peels, you've used milk, even though it was past the best before date, but you still find that you do have some scraps that you need to throw out. I mean, obviously, you're not going to eat a banana peel, 
what do you do? The best thing really, we talked about this at the beginning, Rob, is uh, to put it into a compost bin. And most municipal services do have compost pickup now, which is great. Uh, If you don't have that, you can create your own compost bin in your backyard or some community gardens have a compost that they allow you to drop your scraps off to. And something that I'm in the process of setting up, I just picked up my my bin yesterday is um, your worms, my worms. I got a hungry bin and I bought worms. So now my food scraps can go into my worm bin and my worms will break them down and create a very nutrient rich uh, compost product that I can then put on my garden to fertilize my garden. So in my mind, that's a, that's a win-win. For sure. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we use our lot of, um, well, we give our compost to the chickens cause we have four chickens, just backyard chickens. And then, uh, with worms, I grab some worms out of our compost bucket and the chickens just love eating the worms. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was actually reading the instructions today cause I'm in the process of setting it up. So I started off with one pound of worms and there's a process that you go through to start feeding them and uh you know it takes you over several weeks so in four months my one pound of worms should have turned into i think it said 16 pounds of worms wow wow so yeah it's it's crazy so i can start off by only putting like a small amount of yard scraps in every day and then four months from now i can put up to two kilograms of yard scraps per day and that's how much the worms will eat. Nice. That is amazing. You know, like bees, worms are key to food production. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if there's any programs in place that uh, contribute food scraps to uh, like local farms. Because there's always like people with farm animals. That's what they eat a lot of times is is rotten vegetables and fruit and that sort of thing. Like pigs and yeah. horses eat apples and stuff, right? And that's a great, that's a great point. And I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, like what happens when the city comes and picks up all my <laughs> compost scrap, but you're right. That, Hopefully that would be it doesn't really... just go to the landfill. Yeah. No, but, I think yeah. it goes to the big compost fill, but that it's... would be a great way to, to reuse them. Yeah. If people know a neighbor that has chickens or a, a, I don't know, if you're living in a rural area and there's pigs and horses and all that around, I'm sure you could, uh, they'd be welcome to donate scraps. Yeah. So I uh, provided you guys with a whole bunch of links to various different internet sites and web pages that I like to use. Awesome. And um, I also provided you with a few of my favorite recipes. So one is the creamy sun-dried tomato chicken pasta that I mentioned for using Mm. surplus Mm. or soft tomatoes. The other recipe is a zucchini, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Keikyo e pepe with brown butter. This is a recipe that I came up with because my garden produces so many zucchinis and they all seem to come at the same time. And I got sick and tired of making zucchini bread and zucchini cake. So I thought, okay, what can I do for dinner? And I found this recipe for this pasta and oh my goodness, it is so simple and so good and everybody loves it. Um, so that's a really great uh, use for zucchini. That's awesome. awesome. I'm looking at it now. It's um, basically 
rigatoni. That's what you like to use. And then olive yeah. oil and tons of zucchini. Well, two or more. And oh, I put way more. It's yeah. you? Yeah. Because <laughs> you have a lot to use. I have a lot. And uh, garlic, butter, pepper, and Parmesan. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it. that's it. Yeah. It's so good. Um, I also provided a universal soup recipe with lots of tips, you know, on making soup out of pretty much anything you have, as well as the recipe for making vegetable stock from your scraps. And then my all-time favorite is my banana bread recipe. Wonderful. So, That's right. And with this soup, going back to the soup, is that like hmm. a, it's, it can be a bone broth if you're using chicken bones? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can put anything, anything in there. Nice. Oh, that's Sounds great. Awesome. We're going to have all that in, well, we'll have it on the blog article on the website and then we'll put uh, some of the links to the resources you mentioned in the show notes. And yeah, this has been super helpful. So many different methods for people to reduce their food waste in their own household kitchen. Yeah. So hopefully we can make a difference. And hopefully the next time they do a survey on Canadian household food waste, it will be much lower than it <laughs> no is right doubt. now. No that kidding. would be awesome. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Meredith. That was uh, yeah. good to talk to you again. And uh, it's always interesting hearing those stats. It's uh, it's eye-opening for sure. So like you said, hopefully this can make a difference. Yeah. Great. Thanks, guys. Hopefully I'll be back again. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. It's great. You've got so much uh, knowledge on this topic and it seems like you've helped a lot of your patients um, with ways to get more whole foods into their diet and minimize their food waste at home. Yeah, as well as dealing with the rising cost of uh, food. Exactly, exactly, which is yeah. on everybody's mind. So yeah, these are yeah. excellent um, strategies for people to start using. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. Sounds good. That was really good, eh? That was really good. Very comprehensive. Lots of information and lots of uh, good tips and uh, ideas there from Meredith. Yeah. And since we recorded uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've actually adopted some of her tips and ideas in our own household kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many good things there. And you can find it all on the website. Uh, it's mywifethedietitian.com under the blogs. Meredith wrote us a really nice uh, comprehensive blog article all about everything we discussed today. So you can find all of that, plus the recipes, uh, different links and that sort of thing that she uh, mentioned during this episode. Yeah. And it's all in the show notes under this episode. Yeah, you can link to it there. So, And you can also uh, email us questions if you had any questions regarding this episode or anything else. Uh, feel free to shoot us an email at uh, mywifetherd at gmail.com. And Wednesday is our Nutrition Nuggets, and it's National Garlic Day. So we're going to be talking all about the health benefits and the tasty way to use garlic. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, lots of lots of good tips in that one too, I'm sure. And next Monday is eating family meals together with Dr. Carrie Heineman. Oh, that's a really good episode too. We, we talked to Carrie last week and uh, yeah, lots of really good information in that episode. So stay tuned for that as well. And you can uh, check out our YouTube page as well. We've got some new things up there as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages. And don't forget to rate and review the show. We always appreciate that. And uh, until Wednesday... Have a good couple days, everyone. 
Thanks for joining us today on My Wife the Dietitian. If you like what you heard, don't be shy. Leave us a comment or review and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to hear more, hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on our social media pages for updates, episode trailers, and other odds and ends. For more info and links on what we discussed on today's episode, check the show notes. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun-filled episode. Thank you.